Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. This is Linux in the Ham Shack, yes, with Richard and Russ, or Russ and Richard. Yeah, I think. Say hello, Russ. <laughs> hello, everybody. This is Russ, K5TUX, and that's Richard, KB5JBV. This is episode number seven, so where do we go from here? Well, we've had uh, had some folks express a desire for an install episode. So uh, in the following segments, we're going to go ahead and uh, do an install of Debian on your end. And uh, thank goodness I found my Ubuntu 804, and uh, we'll be doing Ubuntu on this end. But before we get there, we're going to have to do uh, we're going to have to do the email because we want to get as many of them read as possible. So what you got on your desk, Russ? Well, I have a post in the BlacksparrowMedia.com forums uh, from VK7HCH. Uh, I thought I would jump in and introduce myself. Name is Chris. Call sign is Victor Kilo 7, Hotel Charlie Hotel. Location is Hobart, Tasmania, Australia. I have been an avid Linux user since about 1998. I remember 40-disc Slackware installs from Floppy. Uh, even I don't remember that. Uh, I currently run Ultimate Ubuntu 2.0, a derivative of Ubuntu 8.1.0. I have a standard class license similar to technician class in the U.S., and I plan to upgrade to advanced soon. It's active on 80 meters and 40 meters single sideband, 20 meters slow scan TV, and 2 meters. Love your show and listen to it on my iPod as I walk to and from work at the local aged care nursing home. And he's off to work now just before he wrote the message. Says thanks from Chris Victor Kilo Seven Hotel Charlie Hotel. Well, thank you very much, Chris. We always like to hear that uh, people are enjoying the show. Uh, hopefully, if you it looks like you won't have much need of the uh, this particular episode, but there you might learn something anyway. So hopefully, you'll check in. Thanks once again for writing, and I just wanted to let everybody know that. We definitely like to encourage people to use the BlackSparrowMedia.com uh, Black forums to get your information out there, to get your stuff read on the podcast, and to get your questions answered. Hello, Chris, down in Hobart, Tasmania. Yeah, we've got uh, listeners from Tasmania, Australia on the uh, on the other show, but I think you're the one that's furthest out on this one, so uh, welcome aboard. What you got next, Russ? Uh, let's see. I have a, an email that I got from Jeff, KD8JLF, and he says, Hi, Russ. Just wanted to let you know that even the lower version of FL Digi, and this is going back to last episode where we were talking about FL Digi 3.0.3, and that was the version Richard was using, and then I had an earlier version from the repositories, and I said that mine didn't have a couple of features that 3.0.3 did, and he says FLDG has the slider bars that Richard was talking about. You just have to turn the sound mixer on in the config file. So apparently my version didn't come with a feature turned on that 3.0.3 did, but it was still there. So thank you for that bit of information. And he also posted to the BlackSparrowMedia.com forums and he says, in there, I'm using Ubuntu 810 64-bit version. I have a whole lot of ham radio programs working, including FLDigi 3.0.303. He uses gpredict for satellite tracking, which is one thing we haven't really touched on yet, but we will get to that. He says that QSSTV doesn't work real well on his system, but MMSSTV works pretty much flawlessly under Wine. And he says he has uh, he has EasyPal working on the receive part, and he's getting a lot of digital SSTV pictures. As, uh, Echolink also works real well in Wine. Cheers, KD8JLF. Uh, so nothing much to sort of address there, just some interesting information. And we will get to things like satellite tracking and slow scan TV under Linux in future episodes. So what do you have over there? Well, I was just going to say, Jeff also sent me a private email. There's some uh, tweaks you have to do to get uh, MMSSTV running under Wayne, and uh, we'll get that all uh, formatted in a way where it won't get us in trouble and uh, get you all that information. Let's see what we got here. I got one from uh, KO4RB. 
that would be Ray. And Ray's regular on the forums. He says, uh, I have one suggestion. If you have already mentioned this site, I apologize in advance. Well, we have, but that's okay. You can't mention it enough. But if you haven't, you may want to mention DistroWatch to everyone as a uh, place to get the latest downloads for most of the major Linux distros. I have found DistroWatch to be an invaluable resource. Hope you both had a great holiday. And that's Ray, KO4RB. Well, Ray, thank you. And, yes, we have mentioned DistroWatch. We can't mention it enough. Uh, Get some excellent information on what's going on in the world of Linux, Uh, Linux news, new distributions, that kind of stuff. But they do have uh, links and stuff like that to all the major distros, hundreds of them. They also have a list of uh, down showing the, what has been the most downloaded within the past few months. It's a really great resource. And uh, Russ over at DistroWatch was going to retire from doing his podcast, but as of last week, he was still doing it. And so if you can catch that DistroWatch podcast, uh, it's definitely one you need to uh, need to hook up on. What do you think about DistroWatch, Russ? Yeah, I think it's a really good tool, and I haven't actually gone over there for a while because I've pretty much stuck to the distributions I've used, but I used it a lot when I was making up my mind. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. And I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for DistroWatch, I probably never would have uh, settled on the ones that uh, I'm using now that I'm pretty happy with. Well, I'm happy with most. There's one I'm not so happy with, and we'll talk about that later. Okay, so uh, next up, we've got one from Matt, KC8BEW, who sent us an email uh, last time around. And uh, it was concerning the AUG feeds on the, on the shows. Uh, the email reads, howdy again. I was able to access and download the resonant frequency AUG files. The RSS has an issue, though. I cannot get anything after episode 25 via the RSS, though. Is there a separate RSS feed for LHS AUG? And it's signed Matt, KC8BEW. Well, uh, Matt, I need to send you an email back, and I haven't gotten to it yet, but I will uh, state it here and get that email off tonight. Like I said, resonant frequencies, AUG, RSS feed is an experimental thing. I'm still trying to hammer it out. I will work on it some this week and see if I can get that uh, squared away. Currently, there is no RSS feed for the AUG files on Linux and Hamshack. Uh, that is something we will look into and get back to y'all in the future. I might look at setting up a separate feed for the AUG files in the future, but for right now, it's just uh, MP3 via iTunes and the various RSS engines. And uh, you can download AUG files via the website if you want to use that open source format. For right now, uh, only MP3 via RSS. Alrighty, and we will look into that, though. Uh, we know that uh, you guys that are uh, Linux heavy-duty users, y'all, y'all prefer to use the AUG instead of the MP3, and uh, I can definitely understand. But we'll, we'll, we'll check into it and get back to y'all on that. So... Uh, now I want to mention a couple of websites before we move too much further on. Uh, the first one is K0NR's weblog. Uh, K0NR uh, was nice enough to post an article about us over at his website back on uh, December 31st. And a little bit of it is recently I just uh, came across a new podcast called Linux in the Ham Shack by Richard KB5JBV and Russ K5TUX. Richard also does the Resonant Frequency podcast. Both of these podcasts are available via iTunes and probably a whole bunch of other feeds. For your Linux, for you Linux enthusiasts, Russ's call sign is a vanity call chosen for its Linux significance. And that's just one paragraph of this article. Y'all should probably go on over and check, uh, check out Bob's site. That's, uh, k0nr.com. The other website I'd like to uh, mention while we're while we're here is radio.mcdougalshome.net. And that's a pretty long one, so you probably need to uh, if you're going to hunt it down in the search engine, you probably need to punch in K7JM and uh 
bet I ought to find it for you. But he, uh, he put a post on his blog about Linux in the ham shack. And I want to keep uh, saying thanks to you guys because I want y'all to keep posting this on your blogs because they show up on Google that way. Uh, his was on December 30th and, uh, Let's see. I am a ham radio operator and my computers run on Ubuntu Linux. So when I came across a new podcast called Linux in a Ham Shack, I knew I had to check it out. So far, they have five episodes out. So it is not too late to download them and get caught up easily. So, uh, we would like to say thanks to, uh, to John out there, K7JM, for posting us on his site. I got a, kind of a public service announcement for amateur radio operators but uh do you have anything else before i go to that russ uh yeah first i want to make sure that i mention that we'll put those two blogs on the linux in the hamshack website so there'll be links from us to them so you'll be able to find them real easy just by going to our site and i do have one last piece of feedback from the blacksparrowmedia.com forums it's from a regular listener to the podcast, Kent, V-E-4-K-E-H. And he provided a little bit of interesting information here that we should pass along, and it says, There is a Yahoo group in support of FL Digi and companion programs, FLARQ and FL underscore logbook, called Linux Ham. And all of your questions will be cheerfully answered if you sign up, subscribe, and post them to the Linux Ham uh, group on Yahoo Groups. And that's from Kent, V-E-4-K-E-H. I want to thank Kent for sending that in, and we definitely found that interesting and thought we should pass it along to everybody who may or may not know about it. So I guess you're all set for your PSA. Richard, go ahead. Well, it's not exactly a PSA, and it pretty much only pertains to uh, amateur radio operators listening to this podcast in the North Texas section. So the rest of you guys, y'all probably go grab you a soda because we don't do the break after this. But I just wanted to uh, let y'all know that uh, KB5, JBV, and Black Sparrow Media are coming out in support of Jay Urish, W5GM, for section manager in this current election because the uh, previous section manager has uh, really not done a whole lot for the league members. Now, I understand what y'all are thinking. Richard doesn't do ARRL on the shows, but this is kind of important for the guys here in North, North Texas because uh, if we uh, don't do something, <laughs> we're going to end up with four more years of the same, which is uh, just like not having a section manager at all. So y'all mark those ballots and get them in on time. You, uh, I think you have until the first week of February to get those in. So get on out there. So mark you, mark your ballot and send it on in. And I'd like to thank the rest of the listeners for putting up with this little short thing. Y'all know I keep the league out of these podcasts and I wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't something that was important. So with that, uh, if you don't have anything else, Russ, we might just go to the break. No, I'm good. I've got everything I needed to cover for segment number one. So I think we're ready to hit some music and come back on the other side with a couple of installs. All right. Y'all hang around. I said a hip hop, a hippie to the hippie to the hip hip hop. You don't stop a rocking to the bang bang boogie. Say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogity bee. Touch this. My milk 
milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours, damn right, it's better than yours, I can teach you, but I have to charge, who let the dogs out, woof, 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 woof. who let the dogs out, woof, let's woof, get woof. it my started, hump, my 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 lovely lady lumps, my hump, my hump, my hump. I like big butts and I cannot lie You other brothers can't deny When a girl walks in with an itty bitty waist and a round thing in your face So fellas, yes, fellas, yes. has your girlfriend got the butt? Hell yes, so shake it, shake it, shake that healthy butt Baby got back When the pimps in the crib ma drop it like it's hot Baby got back. Okay, and we're back. Okay, folks. Y'all want an install episode? We're going to do an install episode. For those of you who are on Ustream right now, and I'd like to remind everybody that uh, when we record Linux in the Ham Shack, uh, we do have a feed running over at Ustream.tv. Y'all go over and uh, if we got video, you're welcome to it. If we don't have video, at least you got live audio and you get to hear all the stuff we cut out. And you might want to keep that stuff and blackmail us with it. We're going to start off, and I'm going to hand it off to Russ because he's got the video running. He's going to do a Debian install, and I'm going to do an Ubuntu install alongside. So uh, take it away, Russ. Okay, well, I guess we're going to try and shoot this back and forth and try and keep ourselves synchronized during the install process so we don't get uh, two into one and not enough into the other one. But for the Debian install, I've got a copy of the testing installer from the Debian.org website. I downloaded the net install ISO, and I'm installing it on an older Dell something or other. Dell Inspiron, I think. Uh, could be a dimension. Don't know, actually. But I've got uh, the testing installer, and I'm going to do, or I'm going to talk about, and uh, there will be a video of this as well afterwards, a text-based install. And this is the one I'm more used to doing, and it's more like a server install, but it's pretty simple, and it doesn't require a mouse. So if you want to do an install without a mouse, this is the way to go. But basically, you just put the disk in the drive, boot up the computer, and when you get to the welcome screen, you, uh, I would say click on, but not click on, you hit enter for install when that comes up. If you want to do a graphical install, you're welcome to, but Richard's going to be covering that for Ubuntu. Basically, you'll see the kernel boot after you select install, and while the kernel is booting, You'll get a few messages, and then you'll get um, a curses-based screen, which asks you what language you want to install. I'm going to assume for the purposes of people listening to this that you're probably installed in English, but there may be a few others out there. Hit return on English. I'm going to hit return on United States. And I'm going to hit return on American English. And these are all the defaults for my particular installation You'll obviously want to select the options that you want for your particular installation, whatever internationalization you need. But I'm going to do U.S. English, of course. And we'll let Richard talk about how his install stacks up on Ubuntu up to this point. Well, using the GUI on the uh, Ubuntu installer is, is pretty easy for y'all. And Ubuntu is, like I said, one of the couple of uh, instant, uh, distributions that we uh, try and guide people towards. Now, once you've downloaded and downloaded and burnt the uh, Ubuntu ISO to a disk and put it in your disk drive, turn the machine on, the great thing is you're using a live CD. So it automatically comes up to a screen, and it will show you a list of languages so you can go ahead and pick one out for the install process. After that, after you select your language, which I selected English because... That's the closest thing to anything I actually understand. Um, you'll get a screen that uh, has the Ubuntu logo, and underneath that, you'll have a list of choices. Try you try Ubuntu, Ubuntu, sorry Ubuntu, without any changes to your computer. That is the live running the live CD. Below that is install Ubuntu, 
you also have choices to check the CD for defects and test the memory, or you can boot from your hard disk. There are also some other options that are available during the install, but for those of you who are just starting out, you probably want to stick with those. Now, I'm going to go ahead and hit try Ubuntu without any changes because that's the way most of us are going to want to do. We want to take a look at it if we're new to Linux or uh, new to Ubuntu. We're going to want to take a look at Ubuntu before we do anything. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, hit return, and it goes ahead and starts loading the kernel. So back to you, Russ. Okay, I'm going to have to pause here while I um, plug in my uh, Ethernet card. Okay, something I should have said before I even started this is that in order to do the net install ISO, you have to be connected to a network, preferably DSL, because it will attempt to auto-configure your network when it starts up after you select your internationalization settings. If everything goes well, your system will be auto-configured with DHCP, and it will then ask you for a host name. If everything didn't go well, then you'll have to manually input your network configuration settings. And that's probably beyond the scope of this tutorial. So hopefully you know enough to do that, or you'll get the information from your Internet service provider. For the host name, you just put in a name for your computer, and it auto-configures to Debian. And I'm going to change the name on this one to... Uh, Hamshack, just for the heck of it, and I'll hit return on that. It picks a donate. Uh, it picks a domain name up from DHCP if there is one, and you can probably go with what it gives you. But if you know your domain name is different, then you may want to select that. And I'll put in what I know mine is, and now it's asking for your time zone, and we're in the central time zone here. Uh, in the United States, but of course you have lots of options for setting whatever time zone you happen to be in. So just pick the one that's right for you and hit return. And at this point, it's going to check your local repositories and load the rest of the information it needs from your disk to continue with the installation. So how's Ubuntu going? Oh, Ubuntu, we're, we're at the, at the desktop screen for the live CD at this moment in time. Now, for those of y'all who, uh, like I said, are fairly new, this gives you a chance, opportunity to go around and cruise through, uh, get a picture of that lovely, lovely brown theme with the itchy, uh, no, that's the, the hoary heron, hardy heron on the screen. And you can go through and, Go out on the internet, check out a couple of things. This gives you an opportunity to actually test drive Ubuntu. And once you're finished doing that, there's an icon on the desktop that says install. Now, if we had gone down uh, to the next option at the opening screen and hit install uh, Ubuntu Linux, then we would have gone through the process that we'll be going through now. But from the desktop, all we have to do is click the install icon, and we're on our way into the installation. Um, okay, and um, as soon as the install screen comes up, you'll find that you have an option for option to pick your language. Uh, I'm, once again, I'm going to pick English because that's the closest to anything I do understand. And uh, y'all have to excuse me just a little bit because these live CDs, they run a little bit slow. Uh, they only run a little bit slow because you're only supposed to be checking them out. After you click uh, your preference for your language file, then you'll have a screen come up that will have you pick your time zone. You have several ways to do that. You can click a spot on the map, and unfortunately, my part of the world, we don't have, in Ubuntu, there is not, in Ubuntu, there is not uh, Dallas, Texas, which is the closest major city to my home, but I do know that Chicago, Illinois is in the central time zone, so I always pick Chicago. And once you pick Chicago, Illinois, uh, it'll show you time zone, CST, which is GMT minus 6. And over on the other side, it'll show you the time. And go ahead and click forward. Then it'll bring you to the keyboard layout. Now, Russ had not got that far yet, but I'm going to cheat a little. Uh, now, you have a lot of... Uh, a lot of choices, but for most of you, you're going to want to go ahead and click on USA, 
and over in the next box, just USA, because uh, if you have one of the specialized types of keyboards, you're going to know. And down at the bottom, there's a place to type on your keyboard to see if it's working properly. Once you've done that, click forward. Okay, Once we're, now that we've clicked forward, we're over in the partitioner. Now, that's going to take a little bit of time, so let me go ahead and throw it back to Russ so uh, we can get uh, get that side caught up as well. Go ahead, Russ. Uh, my my install doesn't do the interna- internationalization on the keyboard. That's part of what's done at the beginning when you select your languages. Um, so I'm actually at the disk partitioner, so I guess I can go first if that's good with you. Well, have at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Debian gives you a few options on the partitioner. The first option, the default, is guided. Use the largest continuous free space. Uh, the second option is guided. Use the entire disk. And the third option is use the entire disk and set up the logical volume manager. And the fourth option is use the entire disk and set up the encrypted logical volume manager. And the fifth option is to do it manually. I don't think there's enough time to go into all of these options. What we're going to do is assume that you're going to wipe your computer, if you have something on it, and use the entire disk for Linux. If you have a partition set up already for Linux on a computer that already has Windows, for example, you can use the default option, use the largest continuous free space. Now, we're definitely not going to get into using Logical Volume Manager. That's a very advanced topic, and uh, in a typical client installation like we're doing here, you're not going to need it. Now, if you have something special you need to do with your disk before you install Linux on it, then you can use manual. But again, we don't really have time to go into that here. So we're I'm going to select the sep- second option, use the entire disk, and I'm just going to wipe out this computer completely and put Linux on it. So I'll hit return on that option. It asks me to select the disk partition, and it gives me a list of the partitions that are available. And there's only one on this particular machine. Um, so I'm going to select it. Now you'd obviously select the blank space that you need. At this point, it gives you um, the option of different partitioning schemes. The default is all files in one partition, which is recommended for new users. Uh, second option is separate slash home partition. And the third option is separate slash home slash user slash var and slash temp partitions. Now in a server... Uh, set up, you might use the last option with all the different separate partitions. You might want to separate home if you have a very, very big hard drive. In this particular case, it's only 80 gig, and this is just a demo install. So I'm going to select the default option, which is just to put everything in a single partition. So I hit return on that. It sets everything up that it needs, puts everything into one partition, that's ext3, which is the base file system for Linux, and ext3 is journaled. That's uh, the default in this particular distribution. And journaling allows for fallback if your hard drive or if your system crashes and you boot it back up, it will roll back your partition when it starts up so that you don't get errors. Uh, so that's a handy feature. And it uh, sets up the swap space, and it's giving me one and a half gigabytes of swap space. So I can go ahead and select the defaults. If you want to change anything about how your disk is configured, you can do it on this screen. Or you can go back to uh, the partitioning layout and change it as you need. But I'll go ahead and finish this, and what will happen now is it will format the partitions and then start the installer. So we'll uh, let Richard get caught up with Ubuntu as far as this goes. All right, so Russ is over there partitioning his hard drives, and uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look at the uh, uh, partitioning uh, utility in the Ubuntu install. Well, once you've done everything that we've done so far, you'll be at a a screen that uh, says install at the top and prepare disk space. Uh, So it'll ask you, how do you want to prepare the disk? Now, the first option is guided, resize, and uh, that'll take you in to use the disk space that is still available. Uh, guided, use entire disk. Now, I have two disks in this machine, 
but uh, I'm only going to use one of them for this install because I've got other plans for this machine when we get finished. And then down at the bottom, there's manual. Now, you guys that know what you're doing, uh, you go ahead and click on manual. Uh, you other guys, if you're doing, if you're installing uh, alongside uh, another operating system, you might want to use guided uh, or guided uh, uh, use free disk space. Now, for using the whole disk, it's best to just use the guided use entire disk because that right there will uh, will help you out. And for you newer guys, it's going to be the simplest solution. So once you've picked that. And I had to pick one of the disk drives, so I picked uh, the first disk drive, hit forward. And once again, I said, we're running off live CD, and the live CDs do run a little slow. But once you have it on the hard drive, it will run a lot faster. The next screen you'll come to is, who are you? Now, this is the information that you're going to need to uh, put in uh, for passwords and names on the account and that kind of stuff. Because those of you who have been used to using Windows, 90% of the time when people use Windows, they do everything in the administrator account. And that's not a good practice in Windows, in uh, Linux, in on any computer system. Because that allows anybody to come in. Well, in the case of Linux, for you guys that are not used to Linux, uh, the root account allows you to do anything on the system as long as you're logged in. So if you log straight in as root, that means you can go in there and wipe out uh, uh, files and move things around and everything else, which might not be a happy situation if somebody got in there that wasn't happy with you. So at the uh, Who Are You screen, go ahead and type in your name, and you'll notice that the... Uh, the field below that starts to fill in with your first name. Now, I always use my first name for my account. That way I can remember it. And if I can't remember it, I go find my name tag from work, and that reminds me. So you can change that to anything you want. You can make it, um, I don't know, uh, Zippy Gillette if you want to. It's just a username, just like you'd use out on the Internet. That is the name of the account. So below that, the field just below that, two fields, are going to be your password fields. Put a password in there that you can remember easily, and try not to use something that people can figure out pretty easy, like your birthday. Always a bad situation. Now, the next field down, which is at the bottom of the page, uh, in this case, I have in that field Richard Dask Desktop. That used the name of the account, followed by dash desktop. I always uh, change that to something else, even though I don't have any other machines on the network with that name. And for this install, I'm just going to leave it. But that's the information which uh, uh, sets up your account and also gives your computer a name for the network. There was something I was going to warn you all about, but I can't remember what it was. That brings us to the ready-to-install screen. And with that, we're going to move back over to Russ and let him catch up. Well, while you were talking, uh, the Debian installer, once it finishes formatting the file system and partitioning properly, uh, does a basic install of the system. It does it automatically, puts on all of the packages from the repository that come on the netinstall ISO, and also downloads additional packages from the network, which is why you have to be connected when you do this kind of install that it needs to uh, finish the system or finish the upgrade or install uh, after you put in the rest of the necessary information. The Ubuntu installer has already asked for usernames and passwords, and we're at that point now in the Debian install. And right now it's asking for the root password. Uh, Debian is a little different than Ubuntu. Ubuntu tries to obfuscate root access. Debian does not. So right now you'll put in a root password, and I'm just going to put in a password. In this case, I'm just going to put in root. And then it asks you to verify that password after you hit enter. So you type in the same password again and hit enter. And now it wants a non-root user. This is the user you're going to log in as, not as root, so that you don't necessarily damage your system, especially if you're particularly new to this kind of system. 
you'll want to put in something probably based on your call sign or your name. So I'll go ahead and create a user with my call sign as the username, K5TUX. Actually, it wants the name first, so I'll, um, I'll give the name, which is Russ, K5TUX. And then it wants a username, so it defaulted to K5TUX, and I'll go ahead and leave it at that. So I'll hit Enter, and then I'll. it wants a password for this user. So I'll go ahead and enter a password, and I'll just make it the same as my username. This is definitely not good password practice, so make sure your passwords are decent, especially if you're going to have this computer on the network. And then it wants you to verify, so I'll go ahead and type that in again and hit Return. And at this point, it is configuring the apt part of the installer, which will allow you to select what packages you want to install. It's asking you what country you want to access the Debian repositories from. So you'll want to check the country that is closest to you. And the closest to me, of course, is the United States, so I'll select that. It defaults to the United States Mirror for Debian, ftp.us.debian.org. Um, there are several other mirrors listed, and you can select any one of those, especially if you happen to know that one of them is closer to you or faster than the default. So go ahead and hit Enter on that. Then it asks if you have any proxy settings. This is for hard proxies, like if you have a firewall or something on your network where you actually have to proxy HTTP requests through it, then you'll want to enter the information here. If there's nothing like that on your network, go ahead and just hit return. And right now it will check the mirror to see what uh, applications are available in the repository, and it will download a list so that you can browse through them on the installer. So we'll jump back to Richard and see where his install's at. Yeah, I just wanted to make a couple comments on the Debian side before we get back to uh, Ubuntu. Now, all that root password, username and user password and everything else is uh, uh, something we don't have to deal with on the Ubuntu side because uh, the number one account is the root user, and Ubuntu is not going to let you to have root privileges until you go in there and type in your password. So if you're installing the Ubuntu and uh, you get down into it, get it installed and everything else, then uh, if it asks you for a root password, that's going to be the password of the number one account, which is going to be you if you're the only person using the thing and you're the one that set it up with your information. Also, on the downloads, I've always had really good luck from uh, mirrors.kernel.org with uh, Debian. It always ran pretty fast and pretty well. So back over to Ubuntu. Now we're at the ready-to-install screen. At the ready-to-install screen, you're going to get a, a, a summary, a list of uh, what kind of things you've uh, selected so far in the installation. So... Uh, I've got language English, keyboard layout, USA, name uh, Richard, uh, login name Richard, uh, location, uh, America, Chicago, which we talked about that. Uh, and migration assistant, I've never run into a need to use that. And below that, it's going to uh, give you a little information. If you selected the option for uh, partitioning the hard drive that we selected, it's going to give you a little warning about it's going to wipe everything out on that hard drive. So be real careful. Now, down below uh, this list, you're going to see a button that says Advanced. Now, Advanced, when you go ahead and click it, you're going to get s some more options just to make sure you have them or are able to uh, work with them if you need to. And one of those is the bootloader. It'll ask you if you want to install bootloader. Um, I always do. It, always, it installs Grub, which I prefer to the one that I was put on when I started, which wasn't real great. Uh, it's going to ask you the device to put the bootloader on. Uh, this gives you an option of putting it on that main drive that you're for, uh, putting the system on or another drive if you have other drives installed. Uh, popularity contest, which is uh, it's a survey. It's information being sent to Ubuntu. Uh, to kind of keep track of what packages are popular, what packages aren't, 
you go ahead and click that box, then you'll send that information out. And below that's going to be network proxy. So where Russ would have entered the information for his proxy uh, while he was setting up the uh, the network stuff a while ago, uh, you'll go ahead and set that up here. So if you don't have to do any of that stuff, you can go ahead and hit cancel. And down at the bottom of the screen, you go ahead and click the install button, and off she goes. So now she's going to run through the partitioning, and while she's doing that, let's see if Russ has got something. Yeah, I'm back um, to a part that you just talked about, which is the popularity contest, and that same thing exists in Debian as it does in Ubuntu. And if you want Debian to collect a little bit of information about your system so it can advertise that you're using Debian, you're welcome to say yes to this. It defaults to no, and no is what I generally pick because uh, I'm a little tight with my information, but that's just how I am. So I'm going to hit enter on no, and it will continue to install uh, base software. And now it's to the point where it's asking you what kind of software, uh, what kind of system, basically, you'd like to install. There are several options here um, in this particular installer. Uh, selected for you are desktop environment, which is the X Windows, and in the default case for Debian, uh, GNOME, the GNOME 2 desktop environment. You also have options for web server, print server, DNS server, file server, mail server, SQL database, a laptop installation, or a standard system. Now, the, what this basically does is it selects a bunch of generic packages that will kind of set your system up for running in one of these environments. Now, what I'm going to do since these uh, take up bandwidth is I'm going to unselect them all, and it will install basically just a minimal system. There won't be X Windows. There won't be GNOME. There will be just enough to get the system to boot up, and you'll have to install everything afterwards. Now, for a typical installation, you'll want to select desktop environment and standard system and that will get you a decent graphical base system that will boot up, look pretty when it starts up, and uh, be fully usable and allow you to install and run all of the Linux applications and ham radio applications we've talked about in previous episodes. So for for you you know, listening to this, go ahead and select Desktop Environment. Make sure it's starred. And you star and unstar using the space bar in a text install. And you use tab to move around. So highlight desktop environment, put a star there. And highlight standard system, put a star there. Tab over to continue and hit return. And it will go ahead and do all the figuring on the packages and install them, which will take a lot longer than it's going to here because I'm not installing anything. And then it's going to talk about the bootloader. Now, the Ubuntu installation's already talked about the bootloader, so I'll go ahead with this too. Basically, the default for Debian is Grub. Uh, the older default used to be Lilo, but Lilo has gone by the wayside. Nothing really uses it anymore. Grub is much better. And it's asking if you want to install Grub into the master boot record. And in 99.999% cases, and I can't stress that enough, you will definitely want to install it in the master boot record. There are some situations where you won't want to do that, but they are few and far between. And if you happen to do, if you happen to not do that by accident, your system will likely not boot. So make sure you select yes to installing into the master boot record, and hit return. It will go ahead and do that. And then, as far as the Debian installation is concerned, you're done. So how about Ubuntu? Well, Keith was asking what the difference uh, over there on the. Uh on the screen where you uh, select the packages and stuff, if there's a difference uh, between the laptop package uh, option and or what the difference is with the laptop option. Yes, there is a difference, and basically what will happen is if you select laptop, you will get things like the ACPI demons for battery control, uh, power consumption, and also the PCMCIA drivers uh, for PC cards and laptops and things like that. Stuff that are that is really specific to laptop function will be installed uh, via the repositories, and that's what the difference is. Okay, and uh, that right there pretty much brings us to the end of all you got to do now with Debian is go watch a movie. 
So let's get back over to Ubuntu for a moment. And I've been sitting here chugging away since we hit uh, since we hit forward a while ago. Now with Ubuntu, on the other hand, you don't. It doesn't give you or ask you what packages you want installed unless you're uh, installing the server edition. Uh, what it does is it does a basic install of uh, the most commonly used stuff for the most part, which is pretty much the same stuff you find on the live CD. But it takes a little while for all this stuff to either come off the disk or download. And we're currently in that screen here. How we're going to burn up this time, I don't know. However, we're chugging away, and once this is finished running, you'll have a fully installed, uh, usable copy of Ubuntu. Now, let me say something about the desktop, because Russ... Uh, went up there and was talking about the desktop selection on uh, Debian a while ago. The version of Ubuntu you download will determine the desktop that is on there by default. If you download uh, Ubuntu, you will get GNOME. If you download uh, KUbuntu or Kubuntu, you will get KDE. If you download XUbuntu, you will get XFCE. These are all good good, uh, desktops. It kind of Depends on uh, uh, what what kind of you what kind of uh, bells and whistles you like on your desktop. You know, I was a big fan of KDE for a long time, but I got to using GNOME and really enjoy it now. Both of these systems are really good. It's just more and more often I hear that uh, you really want to kind of steer folks towards Linux Mint, Ubuntu, some of these others, because Debian does take a little getting used to. I played around for months with all sorts of distributions before I finally landed on Debian. And the fact of the matter is, once I did, I would run it on every machine I've got. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of my machines won't run it for one reason or another. And it's not uh, because there's a problem with Debian. It's just like uh, the two machines I use for my amateur radio work. They're AMD Durons. They've got uh, onboard network or network adapters. For some reason, Debian can't find the network adapters. So what else you got, Russ? Well, there is a little more work to do for Debian, and it's done after a reboot. And so if you don't have anything else, we could probably hit a break here. It's probably a good spot. And I can talk about the after reboot part of the install for Debian. And you can hit on finishing up Ubuntu as well. All righty. Well, in that case, we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back, y'all. Get up early when the sleeping pill wakes me. I take a wake-up pill to fill with energy. I power on hard and I check my messages. But I don't have any messages. I take a driving pill and head to my car. I drive around the because work isn't very far. I call my phone and I check my messages. But I don't have any messages. All I know, driving on drugs feels better when they're prescription. All I know, the world looks beautiful. The world looks so damn beautiful. Fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now. Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, right now. I feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now. Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, right now, right now. Work is anything but quiet these days. I try to mitigate my concentration rates. I can see the day unfold in front of me So I take the stairs and hit the gym The phone is ringing when I get to my desk What was the sting? It's now a sharp pain in my chest So I take a calm and next and just chill And then it's time for lunch again All I know is work is easy When you don't stress out about deadlines All I know is to take my medicine I always take my medicine feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now, except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, right now. I feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now, except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, right now, right now.
Work is over, but I can't stay to work late. Gotta leave and get ready for my second date. With a pretty girl and a man at the pharmacy. Writing the prescription line. I take a pill for my social anxiety. I get a table and a nice bottle of Chablis. Now it's getting late and there's still no sign of her. I have another glass of wine. All I know is the wine lasts longer when you don't gotta share it with someone. All I know is the steak tastes better when I take my steak taste better pill. Fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now. Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now. Right now, I feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now. Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now. Right now, right now. All right, and we are back from our little break, and I'm going to hit the enter key on my Debian install so I can get the computer to reboot. And it asks you to remove, uh, remove, sorry, any of the install media. And I've already gone ahead and gotten my CD out of the system. So I'm going to hit return and it's going to reboot the system here. It'll bring it up into, um, sort of a final part of the installation for Debian. It does a little bit after the install. Now, when it comes up, it asks you what kernel you want to start with. Um, the, in, the, uh, Default is fine. The other option is the debug kernel. allows you to fix problems with your system, or if you're having issues getting the computer to come up, then you can select that. Here the system has come up, and I'm at a login prompt. If you're doing some installs, like graphical installs, and you've selected a lot of packages to install during the install process, when your system comes up for the first time, it may run through different options for installation. You might be asked to go through task cell or deselect, which are basically different methods for installing packages. You can bypass either of those. You don't have to use them. It just simplifies some of the tasks of installing additional packages. But right now I have a base system installed. I only have a login prompt. I don't have any desktop environment. I don't have any window manager. I don't have anything like that on this system. I will show how to install a couple of those things real quick, just so you can do that if you need to. I'll go ahead and log in as root on this system. You don't have to. Um, and in Ubuntu, you won't be able to. You'll have to use the sudo command. Richard will probably get to that in a minute. But I'll go ahead and log in as root with the root password. So I'm going to go ahead and install a couple of packages that should get me up and running with um, a desktop environment. And I'm going to type apt-get install gnome desktop environment gnome xserver-xorg and x-window-system. And I think that's all I need. Oh, I better install gdm as well. That's the gnome desktop manager. And I think that's everything. Now, what will happen is when I finish with this and hit return, it will go out to the repositories and do all of the dependency checking, and it's basically going to install a ton of packages. So I hit return. Okay, it did the dependency checking, and it says it needs to install 883 packages for a total of 633 megabytes of archives. And I'm not going to do this because it will uh, mess up our Internet connection and probably put Richard in limbo. But you go ahead and hit return on this, and it will install, and then you can reboot your system using the reboot command. Just type reboot enter, and your computer will reboot and come back up. And when it does, you'll have GNOME and a nice desktop environment, and you'll have a fully running, good-looking Debian install. And that's pretty much all there is to it. Now, you could have done this part by selecting the desktop management, uh, the desktop environment and standard system options during the install, which you should have done. And you wouldn't, you won't have to do this part. It will come up in the graphic environment and you'll be all set to go. But if you didn't do that, this is how you do it and you'd be good to go either way. So where are we with Ubuntu? Well, uh, we're, we have finished doing what we need to do. We're at the restart screen on Ubuntu. Uh, let me go ahead and uh, address the, the root account thing before I forget about it. Uh, yes, Russ is right. In the uh, in Ubuntu, when you go in there, when you uh, log in, you're going to log in 
the first time to the graphical user interface. And there is no root account set up by default or not like you would think of it. So you can add a root account after you've logged into the system. So let's go on down here to the Ubuntu machine. We've installed everything. At the end of the process, there'll be uh, a lot of stuff flashing across underneath the uh, progress bar that says removing this, removing that. Don't panic. It's just part of the process. So now we have uh, have the window up that says installation complete, which uh, pretty much tells you it's finished doing the install. You can either continue using the live CD although the changes you make to documents and stuff won't be saved, all that good stuff. And down at the bottom, you've got two buttons. You can either click on using the, continue using the live CD or restart now. Let's go ahead and click restart now. And what it's going to do is going to shut the system down, then restart it and bring you back to the initial screen so that uh, you can boot into the Ubuntu that you just put on your uh, on your hard drive. And that's pretty much the end of the process. From then, it's finding out what programs you want to have on your system and that kind of stuff. If you have your uh, computer set up on a network that uses DHCP, when it comes up, you'll be able to uh, get on the Internet and uh, check things out uh, and everything else. Once you start working with your home network, if you have one, you're going to have to make some changes. But other than that, you're pretty much, pretty much ready to go because there's a pretty good selection of software that's installed with Ubuntu. In fact, uh, uh, one of the things is uh, I use Firefox because it's cross-platform here. And I do have a couple of Windows machines alongside the Linux boxes. My wife uses Windows XP also. And I have uh, Firefox and Thunderbird on all the machines because it's cross-platform. So no matter what machine I sit down on, I'm using the same thing. Firefox installs with Ubuntu. You may have to download some of the codecs, some of the plugins, to be able to watch videos and listen to music on some sites and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, uh, you're good to go. Okay, so we've reloaded Ubuntu. The, uh, the uh, Grub menu is set up when you do your install to only, uh, you're only able to access it for about three, three to five seconds. So if you wanted to go to the grub menu, which is where Russ was talking about, you can go to the, uh, kernel or the backup kernel, that kind of stuff. You would hit a, hit a key. I think it's escape and go to that menu. Once the timer runs down, it goes ahead and cycles through and brings you into the login manager. So you want to type in the name that you put in for your primary account and the password that goes along with it and hit return. Voila. You're going to get some really unusual music and then you're going to end up at that ugly brown desktop. And that's pretty much it. You can't do it. I can't say a whole lot more about it because you're going to get that funny looking bird on 804. I don't know what itchy Ibex looks like because I can't get it to go. Now let me run over real quickly some of the stuff that comes in a base install. Okay, you've got some tools like a calculator, a disk usage analyzer, terminal, text editor. Uh, you've got a few games in, installed on the base install as far as graphics, uh, GIMP. F-Spot, which is a picture uh, viewer, I think, Internet. You've got uh, Software Phone Evolution, which is kind of a uh, like Microsoft uh, doo-woppy. And, uh, <laughs> and there's our Firefox browser, along with our BitTorrent client. I can't live without my BitTorrent client. Then you have OpenOffice in the Office section, uh, some stuff for burning uh, CDs, managing your iPod, and then a uh, place to uh, click to go to your uh, to install packages. Over over under system, you've got different places to go and change settings on your system. And up in the corner, if you're doing an install that's not the day that they release that particular version of Ubuntu, then you're going to have a big red arrow up at the top that's wanting you to go ahead and update update to the freshest versions of everything that you've already got installed. And if you're running one of the uh, piece of hardware in your machine, 
It has to have one of the restricted drivers. You'll also get a notification on that. And uh, that means, like, I run an NVIDIA card on this machine, so uh, that's not open source. So it's a restricted driver. So I have to tell the machine, okay, go ahead and load that driver. But once I do, I'll have copies. Back to you, Russ. Well, I think I'm pretty much done on this side. We've got the install working. Uh, you've got the install working. We've got the machines rebooted, and they both are up and running. And you've gone over the base packages and what's installed. And if you selected the desktop environment and the basic system during the Debian install, you'll have most of the same packages in your Debian install that Richard mentioned for Ubuntu. There will probably be a couple of variances, but for the most part, you'll have pretty much everything, and you'll have a browser. And I don't think it installs Firefox by default. I think uh, it installs Galleon instead. They both use the same engine. Um, but if you want Firefox, you'll have to install that afterwards. Well, uh, yeah, it installs, uh, Debian installs Epiphany, so which is what Galleon is now. But, uh, yeah, uh, Debian will install Epiphany. So if y'all want Firefox, you'll have to go out and get it. Once again, I use Firefox because it's cross-platform. Under Debian and only Debian of the Debian distributions, um, Firefox is called Ice Weasel. That's it. And Thunderbird is called Ice Dove. Um, and that's because of a really strange thing. But the problem is the licensing for the icons for those applications don't pass the Debian test. So they had to create new ones that were open source and... In order to do that, they had to rename the uh, applications. But Ice Ice Weasel is Firefox, and Ice Dove is Thunderbird, and they're exactly the same thing. They just have a different name, and that's the reason. A little strange, but if you're using Debian, uh, something you definitely need to know. Well, I knew that's what it was. I hadn't used Debian in a while, and I knew it was, it was something else because... Uh, Come think of it, I tried to do a Debian install last night too, and you're right. It's Ice Weasel and Ice Dove. They're they're the exact same thing. They just got funny looking uh, uh, icons attached to them. All right, well there we've gone through Debian, we've gone through Ubuntu, and if you're not running either one of those systems, well tough luck. No, not tough luck. Basically, it goes basically the same with uh, any distribution. You go ahead and choose. Uh, the ones that operate off a of live CD are going to be more like the Ubuntu install on this episode. And the ones that uh, don't uh, run off live CD version for install are going to be more like the, D the Debian. Um, that's a great thing. You know, it, they may be called different things and have different features, but it's all Linux under the hood. And if you happen to do a Red Hat or a Fedora install, you'll find that while they look different, a lot of the things they ask you, a lot of the questions you need to answer, and a lot of the options you need to select are the same. And the way you select them, whether it's graphically or whether it's a curses environment in text, are pretty much the same. And if you do one, you'll be able to easily navigate the other. So don't let it intimidate you, y'all. So with that, I guess we need to wrap it up. It looks like we're pretty much finished for this one. Time to stick it in the can. This has been Linux in Hamshack, and he's Russ. And he's Richard, KB5JBV. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash jrwoodman for me. Twitter.com slash kb5jbv for Richard. And twitter.com slash hamshacklinux for Linux in the Hamshack updates. Make sure to send us email. You can reach me at k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com. You can reach Richard at kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com. Send us your questions and comments, and we'll probably read them on the next podcast. And make sure to leave comments on the blacksparrowmedia.com slash LHS site for Linux in the Hamshack. And post your comments and questions also to the Black Sparrow Media forums at blacksparrowmedia.com. And we'll see y'all next time.